At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. To hear that Marjorie Taylor Greene, quote, was being facetious about how she would have won the coup on January 6th. Or, at least Speaker Presumptive Kevin McCarthy now says he thinks so. Well, he doesn't actually go that far. McCarthy doesn't think so. He, quote, thinks she said she was being facetious. And Congressman Ralph Norman of North Carolina, when he texted Mark Meadows on January 17th, 2021, quote, we are at a point of no return in saving our republic. Our last hope is invoking martial law. Please urge president to do so. Well, now that that text is out, that was just frustration. I guess McCarthy thought Norman was being metaphorical. And when Green texted Meadows the same day that the only way to save our republic is for Trump to call for martial law, I guess McCarthy thought Green was being sardonic. And then Congressman Mike Kelly of Pennsylvania, when he texted Meadows that he was ready to do anything I can do to fight these MFers, I guess McCarthy thought Kelly was just describing Democrats euphemistically. And when Oklahoma Congressman Tom Cole issued a press release insisting Nancy Pelosi was running the House by martial law, and he used the phrase martial law six times in the press release, I guess Kevin McCarthy thought Cole was just being hyperbolic. Oh, and when Trump wrote about wanting to terminate the Constitution and people noticed he wrote about wanting to terminate the Constitution, I guess McCarthy agreed with Trump that the thing was just a hoax. And when Congressman Paul Gozar said he supported Trump on terminating the Constitution, but that only low IQ people could possibly have interpreted that as meaning he supported terminating the Constitution, well, I guess McCarthy thought Gozar was being 
witty. And when Lauren Boebert tweeted in July, we must terminate this presidency, I guess McCarthy thought Boebert was just being whimsical. And when Boebert tweeted while inside the Capitol during the coup, today is 1776, I guess McCarthy just thought she got her dates mixed up. And then when she tweeted, Nancy Pelosi has left the chamber, I guess McCarthy thought Boebert was just being, oh, a parodist. You know, Elvis has left the building, Nancy Pelosi has left the chamber. And when Sigal Chata, the Republican nominee to replace him, said the Democratic Attorney General of Nevada should be hanging from an effing crane, I guess McCarthy agreed with her that Chata was just being tongue-in-cheek. And when Oklahoma Republican Party Chairman John Bennett said we should try Anthony Fauci and put him in front of a firing squad, I guess McCarthy thought Bennett was just being colorful. And when Carl Palladino said Merrick Garland should be executed after the search of Mar-a-Lago, I guess McCarthy thought Palladino was just joking. And that same month, the majority leader of the New Hampshire House, Jason Osborne, when he said that instead of buying Independence Day hot dogs, you should grab a few more rounds for your AK-47, I guess McCarthy thought Osborne was just offering money-saving advice and being prudential. And when Colorado conservative Joe Altman called for hanging the governor there two inches off the ground so they choked to death, and Colorado Assemblyman Patrick Nebel then nominated Altman for governor and said, that was a joke. It was said in jest. He's been mischaracterized. We need more humor. And Altman came back and said, I did call for the hanging. I guess McCarthy thought Altman and Nebel were just engaging in repartee. And when Ohio Republican Tom Zawistowski took a full-page ad in the Washington Times threatening that if Trump didn't declare martial law, we will have no other choice but to take matters into our own hands, I guess McCarthy thought Zawistowski was being satirical. But I have to admit, even after all of this evidence, I am stumped about what word Kevin McCarthy, a man whose only evident gift is making up excuses for the violent insane, anti-democratic, murderous, treacherous, traitorous, seditious mob, otherwise known as the Republican Party, I am stumped about which word Kevin McCarthy would pull out of his bottomless pit of rationalizations. Which word? Jesting, flippant, droll, jocular, irreverent, playful, wisecracking, joshing, leg-pulling, wry, salty if he used facetious for what marjorie taylor green said about winning january 6th which word of all of those would kevin mccarthy use for what laura loomer quoted taylor green four days ago as asking her about kevin mccarthy i have text messages with marjorie taylor green on my cell phone where she talks about how she thinks kevin mccarthy is so stupid and how uh she wants me to dig up all the dirt i can on him and his extramarital affairs (laughs) so so that we can prevent kevin mccarthy from being speaker what do you think kevin is marjorie taylor green also being facetious there or is she sardonic or what do you think of this option Could it be that Marjorie Taylor Greene is just being psychopathic and unsuitable to serve in the House of Representatives 
And if you, Kevin, had any balls on you whatsoever, you would take every ounce of your power and get her expelled from Congress now by invoking the rebellion clause of the 14th Amendment and expel her fellow vermin with her. And you would do it even if it's not for the sake of the nation. You remember the nation, right, Kevin? You could do it just to secure your own speakership and only inadvertently help the country. What word would describe that, Kevin, besides atypical? Would that make you facetious or shrewd? Would it make you perspicacious? Or might it even make you, dare I use a word that you, Kevin, would probably have to look up in the dictionary, might actually standing up to this dangerous cavewoman make you patriotic? Still ahead, Elon Musk's tips on how to become a billionaire like him. First, stop paying rent. Oh, oh, man. The National Basketball Association assigns names of famous players to its annual awards. Some of them don't make any sense at all, but they do trigger a debate in hockey. Should those awards be renamed, especially the one for the playoff MVP? which is named in honor of a noted racist who stopped integration in his own sport. Worst persons, Rudy Giuliani goes to war against Sean Hannity. Popcorn, get your popcorn here. Popcorn, stampin' hot. And have you ever been in an apartment building when the lobby catches on fire? I have. I walked past that apartment building the other day. The story of the night of the Molotov cocktail of East 55th Street in Things I Promised Not to Tell. That's next. This is Countdown. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Still ahead on Countdown, Elon Musk reveals the key to becoming the world's ex-richest man stop paying the rent on your office anybody wondering if he's just elizabeth holmes with a higher voice coming up 
First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need you can help. Every dog has its day. Once again, a pound can turn a good dog bad in a matter of hours. And it can then become a self-fulfilling prophecy that ends in the dog's death. Like Zenith at the New York Pound. Upon arrival just 11 days ago, she was wiggly and social. Today, her paws are raw and bloodied from pacing and jumping and trying to get out of her jail. So naturally... They plan to kill her Thursday. She's a big, light, tan, and brindle dog with an eager, friendly look, and she needs either somebody to adopt her or all of us to pledge to help a rescue group pull her out of there. And don't forget Elaine Boozer's offer to cover ordinary expenses for an adopter for a year. You can find Zenith on my Twitter feeds. Please retweet her and pledge if you can. I thank you, and Zenith thanks you. Postscripts to the news, some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline Washington, what do you mean we might actually do something to prevent the next coup? I expect an omnibus bill will contain priorities both sides want to see passed into law, says Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, and he says he thinks the omnibus bill will pass. Included among those, more funding for Ukraine and the Electoral Count Act. Dateline Salem, Governor Kate Brown of Oregon last night commuted the sentences of the 17 prisoners remaining on death row in that state. They will now serve life without the chance of parole. She says the death penalty is immoral. As Clarence Darrow once put it, if the state in which I live is not kinder, more humane and more considerate than the mad act of these two boys, the murderers Leopold and Loeb, I am sorry I have lived so long. And Dateline San Antonio, a drag queen Christmas went on as scheduled at the Aztec Theater last night. Armed members of the This is Texas Freedom Force group of fascists showed up. So did two members of the Patriot Front militia. And so did armed groups defending the LGBTQ community. First drag performance ever where the real dressing up was on the street outside. This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, the National Basketball Association, which has lived in a hybrid world in which some of its awards, like the Bill Russell All-Star Game MVP, were named for its most famous players of all time, but most of them were not named for players, has now changed that but with some problems. The MVP will now be the Michael Jordan Trophy, naturally. Defensive Player of the Year, Akeem Olajuwon Trophy, okay. Clutch Player of the Year, the Jerry West Trophy, which is odd given that West's clutch record in the NBA Finals was one win and eight losses. Sixth Man of the Year, the John Havlicek Trophy, also strange because not once in his career was John Havlicek less than fifth on his team in minutes played. The sixth man is supposed to be, you know, like sixth. Rookie of the year, the Wilt Chamberlain Trophy, and he did have a great rookie year, but maybe the scoring championship award should have been named after him. He did win it seven times, and he once scored 100 points in one game. But the weirdest of them, the George Mikan Most Improved Trophy. 
George Mikan was such an immediate star, the first truly big man at center. After just 25 games as a professional basketball player, the owner of his team pulled the franchise out of the league in which it played, and he created an entire new 24-team league marketed on the premise that only its fans would be able to see Mikan play. When exactly did George Mikan improve? The NBA awards namings brought back to the fore a discussion of naming or renaming hockey's awards, which have long and famously been named for players or executives. This discussion principally centers on the Conn Smythe Trophy, given since 1965 to the most valuable player of the Stanley Cup playoffs and named for the former owner of the Toronto Maple Leafs. But Smythe was a racist who famously kept an African-Canadian prospect named Herb Carnegie out of the NHL in the 30s and 40s and infamously mocked him by offering 10000 thousand dollars to anybody who could quote turn carnegie white unquote obviously the Smythe trophy needs to be renamed and before next year's playoffs but once you talk about renaming hockey awards people want to change all the other awards somebody proposed making the rocket richard trophy for most goals scored in a season into the wayne gretzky trophy even though the rocket richard trophy was only established in 1998 and my friend Jeff Merrick, one of the boys and girls at Hockey Night in Canada, wondered if the Art Ross Trophy for top scorer should be renamed, given that, well, Art Ross was a defenseman who only played in three NHL games in his life and only had one goal and no assists. Of course, it's the Art Ross Trophy because it was donated by Art Ross when he was the general manager of the Boston Bruins. If that's no longer good enough, donating the trophy and naming it after yourself what do you do with you know that other trophy they give out in hockey the stanley cup it is named for lord stanley of preston because he bought it and donated it and named it plus there is the increasingly difficult reality that lord stanley was governor general of canada when canada was still a british possession and when the government's avowed policy was to dispossess the native populations, the First Nations, and either put them on reservations or assimilate them into European culture and generally mistreat them. So you want to rename all the hockey trophies? Don't we kind of have to start with the Stanley Cup? Ahead. For an apartment that cost $483 a month, it was pretty nice, especially the view, until that one night when somebody threw a Molotov cocktail into our lobby. Tales of fires at my place coming up en fuego. First, the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The Bronze, the Wall Street Journal with a curious piece about Brittany Griner. Doesn't have anything to do with her, really, but it writes that she has a, quote, unprecedented choice how or whether to return to basketball after being a prisoner in a Russian jail for 10 months. Phil Marshalldon was a, start, a top starting pitcher for the Philadelphia A's. In 1941 and 1942, he then went into the Royal Canadian Air Force, served in World War II, was shot down, captured by the Germans, was a POW. He got back to Canada and the U.S. in late 1945, and he went out and won 19 games for the Philadelphia A's in 1947. That's kind of a comeback. 
If that's not quite enough of a tough choice for you, there was Bernhard Bert Troutman, who was a top amateur soccer goalie in Germany in the late 1930s. He became a Nazi paratrooper. He was captured by the Soviets, escaped, then the French, escaped, then finally the English in 1945, and when the war ended, they offered to send him home, and he said, uh, no thanks. And instead, he joined a small professional English soccer team, and he was so good as a goalie that in 1949, he was signed by Manchester City, for whom he was the star goaltender until 1964, in the country that captured him during the war. Now that's an unprecedented choice. The bronze, Rudy Giuliani. Ah, Rudy has changed the Hunter Biden laptop story again. Now he says he had the story, or at least most of it, in 2019 and gave the story to Sean Hannity and Mike Pompeo and the then Attorney General William Barr, but they all buried it. Now, apart from the hilarity here, this is uh, Woody, Woody Giuliani versus Sean Hannity. Apart from that, if Rudy had the story in 2019 and the New York Post did not publish it until October 2020, why did the Post and the right-wing echo chamber do such a lousy job of making it look like it was a story, even though it wasn't? They had all that time? Somebody asked the other day what would happen if the story had been about Donald Trump Jr.'s laptop. And there was evidence in it that he used crack cocaine and might have been guilty of influence peddling. And the answer that occurred to me was, you mean just like Junior's Twitter feed any given Wednesday? But our winner is Elon Musk. You ever see Steve Martin when he was still a stand-up comic in a white suit with an arrow through his head playing a banjo in front of arena crowds? I did. 1978, Binghamton, New York, the Broome County Arena. He was outstanding. I surreptitiously recorded it, too. I'm sorry, Steve. He did one bit in which he said, You can be a millionaire and never pay taxes. You can be a millionaire and never pay taxes. First, get a million dollars. Then, don't pay taxes. And when the IRS comes to your house and says, you made a million dollars and didn't pay taxes, you say two simple words. I forgot. From the New York Times, quote, to cut costs, Twitter has not paid rent for its San Francisco headquarters, or any of its global offices for weeks, three people close to the company said. To which David Korn asks, can Tesla owners cut costs by refusing to make their car payments? Elon first, Kanye West, then Sam Bankman Freed, then me. You can be a millionaire and never pay taxes. Musk, today's worst person. In the world! At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. To the number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me and things I promised not to tell. And circumstances the other day took me past my first New York City apartment. And as always, I stood and stared and shook my head and I saw the flames and the glow and the blackened lobby because one night somebody threw a Molotov cocktail into the building in which I had my first New York City apartment. You can't make memories like that. The address was and is 240 East 55th Street, apartment 10F. It was two doors west of 2nd Avenue, south side of the street. It was the center apartment on the street side of the building, and I was directly above the front entrance. And the only thing of note in the entire place, a full-fledged New York City apartment canopy. You don't know how valuable this is until you have lived somewhere without one. You could get out of a cab in a rainstorm and under the canopy in two seconds and not get drenched. No doorman, no amenities, a rather dubious live-in super, but it had that blessed canopy. It figures in this story. I moved in June 17, 1980. It was a big studio apartment. The view was of a big video warehouse across the street, though if you leaned out the westernmost window, you could see the Citicorp Center, which was always an impressive sight on a foggy night. The neighborhood and the building were quiet. A 15-minute walk from my first job and then a 25-minute walk from my second job. When I first rented there, it was, are you ready, $483 a month which sounds unbelievable, but that was about a third of my salary at United Press International. And I think when I moved out in 1984, it had gone up to $510 a month. And the price might have had something to do with the fact that one night somebody threw a Molotov cocktail into the building. You know how once you've been in any place for any length of time, you get used to the physics of it, not just some place you live, Any place you spend a lot of time in, an office, a classroom, a theater, or an apartment, you know what it sounds like, you know what it feels like in the summer or in the winter, you know what it looks like, the building noise, the smells, if it's too hot, too cold, and especially, and think about this for a second, especially what it looks like just based on the light, what the light itself looks like in your apartment. You would know the difference in the light if, while you were asleep, somebody knocked you out, kidnapped you, and put you in an identical apartment, but didn't get the light quite right. I don't know if there was a day when I could have said, this is what the light looks like in apartment 10F, 240 East 55th Street, during a snowstorm, or what the light looks like coming in through the shades at 8 in the morning or 8 at night, but it probably didn't take long. 
June 1980 was when I moved in. I bet I knew the various lights of the place by September. It was a good price. It wasn't that big a place. So by New Year's 1983, I knew it instinctively, exactly, reflexively. I would go to bed in the southeast corner of my apartment, get in, sleeping north-south, but with my head at the south end, and as I lay on my back, I could look out the windows and see the faint orangey glow from a couple of streetlights that shone through the four windows that opened, two on either side of a kind of small picture window in the middle that did not open. The light would be brightest from the window on the far right, the one closest to 2nd Avenue. So, as Sunday, January 9th, 1983, turned into Monday, January 10th, 1983, I hit the sack around midnight because I actually had one of those rare 9-to-5 jobs in television. I was a field reporter for CNN. I shut off the light on the nightstand. I laid down on my back, stared out my right-hand window, and immediately thought, Boy, the light is slightly more orange than it should be, isn't it? What the hell's wrong out there? I'm guessing it was no more than 5 or 10% different from usual. But as I've gone to such lengths to point out, if you see the same light through the same window in all conceivable conditions almost every night for more than two years, 5 or 10% different is a lot of different. I think I lay there trying to figure it out for a minute or so when I realized... Say, it's now 10 or 15% different. It's getting more different. I got up and went to the window and rolled up the shade and looked down to the canopy 10 floors, floors below, and I must say, to my credit, I quickly discerned that the canopy was on fire. I reacted as almost everybody does, matter-of-factly thinking, maybe even saying out loud, hey, the canopy is on fire and then registering that the fire had already burned through the building end of the canopy and was moving quickly towards the street, suggesting, again, I must say, I figured this out for myself, suggesting that there was probably a fire in the lobby of the building. It was burning out towards the street. Well, I felt clever. Then I felt something else. I put a robe on over my pajamas, I put on some shoes, I grabbed my wallet and keys, and ventured into the hallway. No smell of smoke. Good sign. The two elevators were staring me in the face. I knew better than to try them. I opened the stairwell, and that's when I smelled the smoke. Faint, but it was there. I went down two floors, and the smell became stronger and stronger, so I went back up. I went back into my apartment. I did not really know what I was going to do next. Ten floors, needless to say, was not jumpable. Even when I was less than 24 years old, I would not have made that jump. There was no fire escape. That's what the stairwells were for. And even if I went down the elevator or the stairwell or the side of the damn building, I would wind up, you know, right in the middle of the fire in the lobby. For a few seconds, I really did not know what to do next. Me, the grandson of a man who was not only a firefighter, but who was the guy who drove the hook and ladder for the fire company. Irony. That is when a blessed sound appeared around the corner. Fire engines. That broke me out of self-absorption and cheered me considerably. They parked right near where that convenient canopy used to be, but was now pretty much a charred hunk of the metal framing and a little burned fabric left over. 
I'm sure you've seen a fire. Maybe you've seen firefighters arrive at one and get going with amazing speed. But there is something different in seeing all that from the vantage point of being above the fire. First, there is an extraordinary amount of water and then a lot of smoke and then an almost unstoppable instinct to say, cool. And then you go and check the stairwell again and joyfully inhale the smell of stuff that had been on fire, but was now just inundated with water. I waited until after they left before I decided to go back to my bed. I did not feel the need to add to whatever loud chaos was unfolding in our lobby, nor to get any details about the fire other than the most important one. It's out! But in the morning, I had to go to work anyway, and so I saw the elevator door open onto the little linoleum-covered landing in the lobby, and I saw that everything else in the lobby except that linoleum landing was jet black. They were still hosing some of it down. They were pulling up burned carpet. They were already installing new windows and doors and carting away what was left of the canopy, and it was evident that nothing else in the building had burned. Nothing but the canopy and about 75% of the lobby. In the days and weeks to come, the other residents, knowing I worked in news, clued me in on the rumors and asked me to check them out. There was a dispute involving the owner. There was something about a woman. No, there was nothing about a woman. But all of them, every story included the obvious. Somebody had thrown a Molotov cocktail into or against our front door. That was not spontaneous combustion. Canopies just don't suddenly have, you know, electrical fires. And then there was the best of the stories, borne out or at least lent plausibility by the rapidity with which the firefighters arrived, which, thinking back on it, was no more than three or four minutes tops after I first saw the extra orangey glow. The best of all the stories was that the fire department had been called by somebody before anybody in the building had called. The implication was somebody called in a fire at 240 East 55th Street and then went over there and started a fire at 240 East 55th Street. For 40 years, I have been unable to find the truth. The fire, doing superficial but ultimately not serious damage, did not make any of the New York newspapers. Hell, that year I took a subway to work in the morning and there was a guy sprawled over three seats. And when I went home that night, I happened to get on the exact same train car and there was the exact same guy sprawled over the exact same three seats because he was dead. And that didn't make any of the New York newspapers either. We old-time New Yorkers, we lived on the edge, baby. Headless body in topless bar era, folks. All I know is that within weeks, a doorman was hired. His name was Gene, and he was still there as of 2002. And then the building suddenly went co-op. All of us renters were offered the chance to buy our apartments. I wondered if that had something to do with the Molotov cocktail. In any event, I did not want to take out a loan. I expected to be moving to Boston within the year, and I kept thinking about that Molotov cocktail, so I turned down my little apartment at the price of, once again I ask, are you ready? $36,500. 
because yeah, there was a fire and the loan in Boston, but ultimately, I turned it down, even just to have kept it as a storage unit, because when it comes to investments, as previously annotated here, I'm a moron. <laughs> done all the damage I can do here, including to my investment portfolio. Thank you for listening. If you're not following or subscribed or whatever, please do so and stop a passerby on the street and get them to subscribe or whatever, too. Here are the credits. Most of the music, including our theme here from Beethoven's Ninth, arranged, produced, and performed by John Philip Chanel and Brian Ray. They are the Countdown Musical Directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray, produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2. It was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today from our vast roster of celebrity announcers was Kenny Mayne. Everything else was pretty much my fault. So that's countdown for this, the 708th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him now while we still can. More countdown tomorrow. Until then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Watch sensational Grand Slam action on Tennis Channel as top stars clash at Roland Garros in Paris. Catch all the excitement. What a shot. Come on now. With Tennis Channel's comprehensive coverage as we bring you live matches and nightly encores, plus match previews. That is awesome. Don't miss one of the greatest events in all of sports. Roland Garros, the French Open. Daily live coverage on Tennis Channel now through June 9th. 